My name is Florence Ann Hawkins, knee Gildersleeve, and I was born on the 1st of the 1st, 1932. I was born in uh, this street. My mum and dad used to live in this Yeovil, in Westbury Crescent, and mum went into labour and she went to the hospital, and when she came out, she was moved into to Yeovil Crescent, which faced Canning Highway. My mum was, uh, was Lily May Wells, and she married she married Walter James Gildersleeve from England. He was a chef on the yeah, Cape Otway, the lighthouse boats that used to go around Australia. And that's how she met my father. But they weren't, they were, they were very poor in those days, you know, and I only had the two brothers, Doug, Douglas James and Desmond Keane. Mum had Doug and he, he was nine years older than me and Des was seven years older than me. I, I, well, I was seven when my father died, but I was there all the war years and that. I became a legacy ward. It's like a rotary club and things like that. Well, they look after their people. It's like being, if you've been to Vietnam, well, the Vietnam vets get looked after. They look after the children. That. Well, that's what the legacy, and I was a legacy ward because I was the youngest of my two brothers. and. Uh, and uh, they were very good to me, the legacy. They made sure that I had a Christmas present and a birthday present. And at Christmas time, the, uh, they made sure that I, I was able to go to the pictures and give me ice creams and lollies, you know. And then I had a legacy dad and whatever I wanted to do, if I, had, if I needed to go on a holiday, if he, he, he would pay for me to have. And of course he passed away. So I would round about 10 or 11, I suppose. I grew up, went to school, went to Princess May in Fremantle. Mum used to be a Church of England and then when my father died, she had an old aunt by the name of Aunt Lucy and she got Mum interested in the Seventh-day Adventist Church and all of a sudden they were very strict. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, you know. And uh, Doug and Des and I, we thought, oh, crikey, our lives, you know. But then Doug was away at the war so and he was away most of the time but Des lived with us till he got married. Well not far from us, well it was far, was a Melville camp where all the soldiers used to be and they'd walk from South Street all the way down Carrington Street and turn into Canning Highway just near our house which is Yeovil Crescent and uh, during the war you could go all the overruns of fruit they, a chap used to come and give them, uh, sell them to you for a shilling a bag and mum used to pick up all the apples and the oranges and of course the soldiers have walked so far she was so sorry for them and that she'd say go out there and throw them an orange and an apple and that's what I used to do, I thought it was fun throwing an orange and an apple to them and they'd catch them, they'd yell out thanks sis and thanks mum to mum, you know. And that, that's my memories of the war and we had a, a, an air raid shelter in our place and it was a half a tank and it was all covered with sandbags and that was there in case anything happened if the Japs were in Broome at the time and though we thought they might be moving down so everybody had an air raid shelter in their front yard or their backyard. They never eventuated any further than Broome. Uh, Dares was man-powered and working at Cunderdon and he was away for the week but he used to come back on the weekend to be with Mum and I, you know. Well, Doug was... Uh, living in uh, New South Wales at Cowrie uh, where there was a, a hospital for all the um, 
sick um, Japanese prisoners of war. He was on duty one night. He was shaving, that's what he was doing, shaving and looking into the mirror and there was a Japanese chap coming up behind him with a knife. And Doug said, well, I don't know how I'm going to handle this. But he said, the only way I could do was to shock him. So I turned around and stamped my foot and said, what do you think you're doing? And he dropped the knife and ran and got back into his bed. But Doug said from then on it made him very cautious at night time around all these fellows. And uh, Doug today is still living. He's in a nursing home, Sherwood Lodge, and he's 95. And he's with his wife, Elsie, and she's 95 too. I went on a trip on the Canimbla. It was a three-week trip to Sydney in those days. You went around. And uh, Des and Phil, and that's Des's wife, and Doug and Elsie came to see me off and Mum. And the last thing Des said to me as I was going up the gangway to, to the ship, he said, keep away from those bloody seamen. And so, because uh, my mother married a seaman, he was a, the chief chef, and anyhow, um, I met Ray. But I, I saw him about three days out of sea when we're going to the, uh, the bite. And because uh, all you see is CC, you know. And I was writing a letter and keeping my mother up to date what I was doing and that. And Ray and his mate, they were painting the uh, ship, the railings. And he just said to me, and what are you doing? I said, I'm writing a letter to my mother. And he wouldn't believe me. He said, I'd be your boyfriend, I wouldn't be your mother. And that's how we started a conversation up, you know. I met him again. Oh, he said, oh, we've got a party going on downstairs, down in there their cabin, would we like to go? And of course the girl, Pam Cowie that was, she was with me and she said, oh yeah, let's go down, that'd be fun. And to get from where our cabin was, we had to go out on the decking to go down to the seamen's quarters and they met us with raincoats and put a, put a raincoat around each of us so we could walk across from where we were staying in the ship across the decking down to the seamen's quarters. But they knew that it went on, you know, yeah. But And we had a terrific time down there. They had the best food going, you know, and so singing and dancing. And each table at the, on the ship, there was one of the, uh, uh, like one of the chief stewards sitting at the table. And they said, uh, Miss Gildersleeve, where were you last night? We missed you at the table. You didn't come in for dinner. And I said, oh, I didn't feel like it. And he said, uh, you know, if I find out you've been associating with those seamen. So I said, oh, no, nothing like that. <laughs> and that's how I got to know Ray. And then by the time we got to Adelaide, Ray said, would you like to come ashore with us? He said, I'll give you a good time. And so we went ashore, Pam and I. He bought us lunch and we went to a hotel. Well, that's the first time I'd ever been in a hotel and had lunch. And because he had a beer and I had a lemon squash and... And that's how we started our bit of a romance. And I, when we got back on the ship at Adelaide, I, he said, uh, when we get to Melbourne, he said, I'll take you out to a Chinese, my favourite restaurant in Melbourne, a Chinese restaurant. And, uh, and I kept thinking you know, when I go home, because I didn't tell Des that I met somebody I like. I got to Sydney and he said, what are you doing now? I said, my auntie and uncle are coming to meet me and I'm going to stay with them in Moorunga. Well, he said, I'd like to keep in contact with you. So uh, he gave me his address and I gave him where I'm going to stay. And he had a little rental car, tiny little thing it was. Anyhow, he came up to where my auntie lived and picked me up and took me 
into Sydney and next thing I know it's about two o'clock in the morning and I thought, oh, no, I've got to get back to Warunga. I was in Sydney. And by the time I got back, Auntie, Auntie Vida and Uncle uh, Fred were oh, besides themselves. I didn't know what had happened to me and they told Ray off and told me off and, and Uncle Fred said, you'll be on the next boat going home. You can't do this to us. And, but anyhow, we didn't. And we got on okay, and then I, the Canimbla used to do a trip every three weeks around from Sydney to Fremantle, yeah. and I caught the next trip back, and Ray was on there, so I got more acquainted with Ray, and that's how we met. And uh, Ray and I picked up our romance from then on, and when I got to Fremantle and got off the ship, Des was there waiting for me, and I... and. Uh, I introduced him as Ray come down the gangway, he wanted to meet my family and so Des was there. Here's what she said I wasn't allowed to have her on the ship. He said, well, it's well known, you can never take a romance off a ship, you know. So that's how it all started. And then Ray, every time Ray would go away, he'd be gone for three weeks, he'd come back and he'd come and stay at our place and Mum loved him. Mum. Mum Mum thought he was the best thing since sliced bread, you know. And he loved Mum, you know. Well, she was married to a seaman. She knew what a lonely life. And she kept saying to me, you know, if you marry this seaman, you're going to have a lonely life just for like, like I had with your father, you know. We got engaged when he came back. He ha the the Canimbla went off the West Australian uh, line for a while and I didn't see Ray for another three weeks. And then he came back on the Canimbala and that's where we picked up and he brought, he brought back an engagement ring and asked me to marry him. And it was that big the engagement ring, it fitted on my thumb. That was in 1954. We were married on February the 24th, 1955. And I had Brent in 1955, nine months and three days later. <laughs> And I can remember Ray's payoff. He got he got out of a ship and he was entitled to four hundred pound. He had a mate that had a car that wasn't running, and we spent one hundred pound on doing this bloke's car up for him so we could take it on our honeymoon. We went to uh, Bunbury first, okay. and then we went on down to Albany. I booked in for seven months ahead for when we were planning to get married and that. And we had a shocking room where we were to stay. And I, so Ray went and complained about it and we got a better one. But there was three other beds in there besides us. We got a nice big room, you know. But Ray said, I didn't want anyone else coming in. <laughs> that was quite nice. No, we enjoyed Albany. Uh, between 21 and 22, I'm not quite sure. Ray was six months older than me. I know I was 23 when I had Brent. Then he wanted to take me to Sydney to see his mother and father, although not that his mother and father were living together. I, I went over to Sydney on the Canimbla, that was the same ship that he was on, but he was a passenger this time. Brent was only six months old, not even that, I don't think. Yeah. And we went over to meet his mother and his sister, Gloria. Ray he was born in Cogra, New South Wales. Ray's mother, her name was Linda, Linda Ruth Webb, and she married, like, Leonard George uh, Hawkins, and he lived there with his mother and dad and Gloria. Gloria was three years older than Ray. He had he had two sisters, but I think Beverly had passed on by then. Now in those days, Ray's father was 
very well off. And he worked for Anthony Horden's. That was a big shopping centre and it went the full block in uh, Sydney. And he, uh, he was the head accountant of Anthony Horden. And in those days, that was the depression in those days, he was keeping his brother yeah. afloat because uh, money was so short. Yeah. And that's how much his father was earning in those days. And he got caught up with people that were gambling and, and the racists and he, um, he gambled all their money away. He ga gambled their house, their car. And that's why Ray to this day would never gamble to think what his father had done to him and deprived his sister and, and his mother and him. They used to fight all the time until mum kicked him out, but he kept coming back and banging on the door and he was drunk and all like that. So. Ray said, I've had this, and he was a pastry cook with a bakery. But he thought, no, this is not what I want to do. And he met up with a friend called Laddie McKenzie, and Laddie was going to sea. So Ray went and joined the merchant seaman. He was about 17, I think, 17 or 18, and he took off to sea and went to Canada, America, and all like that. That's how he became a seaman, you know. With Mitchell's Dry Cleaners, and he got a job with them so he could stay. I was living at Yeovil Crescent, yeah. Bicton, and we lived in a, a rented house with my mother, yes. I had Brad at Yeovil Crescent. There's 28 months between Bradley and Brent, and so we, um, we, we had 50 pound, and that was our deposit on the house in Willoughby. I think we borrowed the 50 pound we did off Mr Dickinson. You had to have friends in those days to have money. So anyhow, he said, I don't want any interest. You just pay that back when you can. Well, Ray was always a stickler of paying bills first and eat later. And so we gradually paid this 50 pound and we had a nice house in Seven Cummins Street, Willoughby. We lived on a corner and then we had a corner window where Bradley used to sit in his high chair and look out there. That entertained him, you know, and he had a tray with all his toys. And... But TV came out. We had open-air picture theatre down the road from us and I used to take Brent and Bradley to the pictures twice a week because Ray was away at sea and I was lonely. So uh, I used to take them twice a week to the pictures and I thought, well, the money I'm spending on going to the pictures, I, I could uh, buy a TV. So that's what I did. I, I thought, I'll get a TV. I've got a small TV, you know, which I thought it was great. Anyhow, the kids loved it. They think they could watch what they liked on TV. It cut off early. It, you couldn't watch TV till about five o'clock in the afternoon, you know. And then uh, six and a half years later, I fell pregnant. I had Jason. My mum had been very sick and I'd been looking after my mum and I thought I'd had the flu. I, I had the flu and I thought that's what's wrong with me. But I... When I went to the doctor, he said, you're three months pregnant. <laughs> and so I didn't realise that. He was born in 64. They all went to the uh, Karawatha School, which was down the road from us. The two eldest boys uh, went to uh, Melville High School. Ray built a swimming pool for the boys. It was, we had one of the first swimming pools in Willoughby, below ground one, you know. Oh, we dug a hole for ages, and of course he was working that, and every time he'd come home from work, he'd dig more sand out of it. We had it cemented, that's right, we got a chap to come. Once we got the shape we wanted, I wanted a heart shape, see, and that's why it ended up the shape of an artist's palette instead of a heart shape. 
Uh, Ray didn't like the idea of it, but I wanted it. Got it cemented. A chap came and cemented in and stuff, and we and uh, he went and bought all these pipes and that. We should have had the pipes in before the bloke cemented it. And he was a very good, very handy, Ray was. There wasn't a thing he couldn't make. Okay. Fifteen years we spent in Willoughby. Uh, we shifted from Willoughby and came to live in this triplex here. Uh, Jason was nine at the time and uh, Brent was 18 and I think Bradley was just starting his apprenticeship off as a plumber and Brent was working for the ANZ Bank. They were quite good mates when they were young, but the older they got, uh, Bradley had, was a winner. Bradley had to win. Schoolwork to Bradley was a breeze. Schoolwork to Brent and Jason, they really had to study for it, you know. Bradley used to pick a lot of fights. There was a shopping centre down the road from us and behind the shopping centre was a bush. There was always something going on there. There was always fights and, of course, who would be having a fight would be Bradley. And Brent would come home and he said, oh, Bradley's down there having a fight, Mum. And I said, why aren't you helping him? And he said, no, it's not my fight. So anyhow, and uh, Jason, of course, Jason came along and Bradley couldn't be bothered, Jason. He's a baby. He doesn't want anything to do with him. And they used to have a a fight who was going to take Jason for a, a walk in the pram. I'd have Jason in the pram and the other one would be sitting at the other bottom end of the pram and the, they'd taken in turns wheeling one another around the block. But they were typical boys. Brent used to call Jason bum fluff and he used to hate it. He couldn't stand that. Jason was away with the fairies too. He had, used to have an imaginary man, a, a friend who lived under the street. Yeah, under the street in uh, Butler Street. And he used to talk to him because the boys used to tease him. So Mum went around to live in Ellison Street, which helped the burden, you know, for the three boys in our small house. And uh, the boys used to go and help Nana. Bradley came home one day. He said, there's two little ducks walking down there. And he came in with, to Nana's with these two little ducks. And he said, Nana, look, I've got these ducks. And Mum said... Where did you get them from, uh, uh, Bradley? And he said, well, they were walking up the road. And Mum said, oh, yeah. Well, they must have come out of somebody's yard. We had these two little ducks for about three or four days. And Bradley grew fond. He'd go to school and he couldn't get home quick enough to play with these ducks. Next thing we found out, it belonged to somebody else. And they come and took the ducks while Bradley was at school. Yeah. Oh, and... He was heartbroken. He cried. He just didn't... There were his ducks and how dead Nana. His mum said it. They didn't belong to you. You've got to realise this. They're not yours. He said, can you buy them back off? But that was Bradley and he, he's never, ever forgotten to this day about these little ducks that he had, you know. And we also had a dog, Mr Red. I, I badly wanted a dog. I've always had dogs when I was little, you know. And this lady that lived in Marmion Street, she had a, a dog... And he couldn't breed, so she didn't want him because he couldn't breed. And his kennel name was Gwenel Ray Prince Teddy. So we used to call him Mr. Ed after the, the talking horse. He used to grin at us with his teeth and you'd swear he was going to talk to you. Anyhow, uh, uh, Ray got home before me and Mr. Ed was laying on the lawn underneath a tree. So Ray just picked him up and he buried him. And... Next thing, the milkman knocked on the door and he said, Oh, Anne, terribly sorry. I just didn't see him. He was running down the road and I hit him with my oh. truck. Well, we wished we hadn't, he hadn't said that because I just thought Ed died of old age 
or they told me when they found out he's troubling and he couldn't breed, they said he won't live long. So I thought, oh, that's, he's just passed on, he's gone to heaven. And I was quite happy about that. Well, I cried, then it carried on, you know. <laughs> Every year we went on a trip. Of course, Ray came from Sydney. Every four years we'd go back home to Sydney and would pack up the station wagon car and we'd all sleep in the car, believe it or not. Uh, the, we used to lay the back seat down. We had all our gear and that on top of the car, you know. Because we could sit three in the front in those days, you know. We didn't have um, seat belts. We used to have it in turns driving. I used to drive and Bradley used to like me drive. We used to drive at night time, Brad and I. And we used to say, put the foot down, Mum. And Ray would be asleep with Jason and Brent in the back. Oh, and the places we stopped at and that. We, we, we had a ball, really. Through orchards in South Australia and we... We pinched oranges. All these lovely orange trees were growing over on the nature strip and you can stop the car and go and get a handful of oranges and that would keep you going. And I can always remember getting out of the car because Brent wanted to go to the toilet near, near this orchard and that, you know. And, uh, and I just picked a couple of bunches of grapes and got back in the car and so we had grapes to eat going along. And you didn't go without and yet it was fun, if you know what I mean. And we got to Bathurst one year and uh, the snow had just started, you know. Yeah. And, of course, the boys thought that was beautiful. They wanted to go and get in the snow, which they did. And I picked Jason up and then I fell over in the snow. It was more sleep than anything, ice, you know. And, of course, Jason and I were wet. And When you got to Norseman, the Nullarbor, there was no road after. Even when we first started, when you got to, after you left Southern Cross, there was no road. It was, honest to God, you could have lost a car in one of some of these potholes we used to drive around the early days. I'm go going back to the late 60s. When you're going across the Nullarbor, there was gates to stop other cattle coming through in other people's property. And they used to fight over who was going to open the gate and who was going to shut it, you know. And I spy, God, we wore that out. Nobody wanted to pay I spy anymore. We used to do it in a Holden station wagon. Took us ages, took us, used to take us three to four days to go over the Nullarbor and we'd stop at different places and camp for the night and take food and that and we, we used to make a campfire and then we'd pull up, we'd get out and make, this is camp, we were camping the night because we'd all sleep in the car. Ray always slept on the front seat and I'd get in the back with the three boys, you know. He loved, that's how we got a caravan because he loved doing all this. And he said, you know, we're going to see all of Australia one day, you know. I can remember staying in Adelaide once when we were there and, and I was doing the washing, that's right, and this old lady came in. Well, I thought she was old, but she wasn't really, but I was only young. And, uh, I, and she said, and where are you going to, lass? And I said, oh, we've just come off the Nullarbor and we're staying here. The RAC brought us in. And so anyhow, they put us in this caravan park. And, uh, and I said, and where are you going? She said, oh, we're caravanning. We caravan every year, she said, and we like to go to different places. And I, when I walked out, I said, well, good luck to you, love. I hope you're safe on your journey. I said, I'd like to do that one of these years, not ever knowing that one day I would caravan at the same place. I even went back to the same caravan park that I saw her at, you know. In those days, she only got a fortnight off from work. We used to extend our holiday. I used to take the boys out of school a week before we went to Sydney so that we had a week travelling. A week with Gloria and uh, Ray's mother 
and a week to come back. And the boys loved it. We used to go over, when we got to Adelaide, we used to go over on a punt with a car and the boys used to think that was good. The punt used to take the car from one side oh, over to the other, over the Murray River, that's right, yeah. I, Ray had this theory, do it while you can and yeah. go and see it while you can because he said, we might never get back here. But I used to think, oh, yes, we'll come back here. But there's lots of places that I wished I had adventured in more because we never, ever got back there. So, but we have seen most of Australia. Been up the middle twice. I've been around Australia three times. Been across the Nullarbor 27 times. But I loved having them here and I liked them. I couldn't care less if they stayed here till they were whatever age, but I knew they were going to get married and start a life of their own, you know. One of my saddest days when everybody went, I, I felt as though my world had fallen out, you know, apart, you know. Bradley was the first to move out because he was a mad surfy. He had a um, Volkswagen surfy van, you know. And he was, he went and lived with Peter for a while. So that's where Bradley went and lived. And then he came back for a while and then he said, I'm going to rent a place in Palmyra, which they did. And, uh, but he used to come home every now and again for a meal. By this time, Brent was studying, to, he wanted to be a, a pilot. He came home, he went on a trip with uh, a chap by the name of Bristow, I can't think what his first name was now. And when he came back, he said, Mum, I'd said to Dad, Ray and I, he said, I'd like to be a pilot. And we both said, oh God, Brent, we haven't got that sort of money. He said, could you keep me at home if I, I went to work and paid for my uh, lessons and that to be a pilot? And we said, oh, that was okay, you know. So he did. He got all kinds of different jobs and he, he, he signed up out at uh, Jandicott Airport, you know, to get hours up and that. But we kept him here and, uh, and I used to always have the boys home on a Wednesday. It was hard to get them for a meal on a Sunday. We used to always have a roast dinner on a Sunday. But they had so many things they wanted to do and Bradley was always surfing. We could uh, never catch up with Bradley. So. Bradley moved out, and the next thing he's got this little black ball of fluff. It was Arrow, his dog, and it was given to him. Bradley had named the dog Arrow. There's a song called Me and My Arrow. Half silky and half poodle. So anyhow, home come Bradley with this little pup. And Ray said, we can't have a pup here, Bradley, because he was plumbing, you know. He said, I'll take it to work if you can look after it. And we said, yeah, we can do that, you know. Anyhow, this little black ball of fluff took to Ray, and Ray, every time Ray'd sit down to read the paper, it, it'd run up Ray's knee and lob on his chest, and Ray used to say, get down, get down. He thought he'd like to take it when he went surfing, thought it'd be good company, and he said it wasn't. He said he wants to pick fights with all the other surfies' dogs, who are great big dogs, but Arrow was the little one, and Arrow was the aggressive one. And I had his 21st here because he didn't want a big fuss. Just the family and a few of my friends, well, just the family and a few of his friends that soon got around, Brad had a 21st going here. So uh, I thought I'd catered enough for it. Next thing, all these people are coming in, you know. We had it out the back, we had plenty of room out the back, you know. And uh, so I had to send out for Kentucky Chook, you know. I had to get that because I never had enough. Bradley got drunk and he went and laid down on his bed and Arrow went into the bed. Well, Arrow was protective of Bradley. 
well, somebody wanted to go into uh, the bedroom and they said, God, I opened the door and this bloody black thing <laughs> flew at me. Because <laughs> Arrow was protecting Bradley. He knew Bradley wasn't well on that. It was so humorous. So Arrow ended up here and that's how he ended up here. When he was six years old, or not even six, his grandmother gave him a big teddy bear. He loved this big teddy bear. Cuddled it right up till he was nearly 12. So. When he got older, you know, we got put in the cupboard. So for his 21st, I thought, I must do something about Teddy. So I got Teddy out. When they were making speeches and that, I said, or Ray said, there's somebody here you haven't seen for years and he's dying to meet you again. And of course, Bradley's all that, you know. So out comes Ted. Well, because he'd had enough drinking him by then, Brad, he just went to tears. He couldn't believe it. He just grabbed Teddy and that's when he went inside and got on the bed. The front unit was for, uh, for rent and Brent went and lived in there with another pilot, a bloke becoming a pilot. He ended up being a helicopter pilot. So Brent had the front unit, but he never, ever moved out. And uh, he was 26 or 27, Brent, when he lived in the front unit. And then eventually Brent bought the middle unit because that came up for sale. And because he was now living in Hong Kong, he and Fiona wanted somewhere to come down. Oh, Jason was always going to Bali, loved Bali. He met Lisa on one of the trips and of course she was from Melbourne, so he got a, a transfer from the shipping company he was with here over to Melbourne and that's how that romance started. Bradley was the first to move out. I don't know if he was living with Peter or what, I don't know, but that's how he met Jill, you know. Peter was his mate. Peter had a, a Greengrocer's shop in Cottesloe. I used to think, how do they? How are they eating? They got enough money to live on. Because I said to Bradley, if you move out, you'd be lucky to have ten dollars to live on for the week. And he said, well, I can manage that. Peter and Brad used to make a big pot of stew or a big pot of soup, and they'd live on that for weeks. And Bradley said to me one night, you know, he said, how long does a stew last on a stove? And I said, well, you should have it in the fridge. He said. Oh, there's a lot of bubbles on it. I said, oh, my God, that means it's going off. If it's bubbling, it's had it. And he said, well, it tastes OK. <laughs> Growing up with my children and not having to worry about like you have to worry about your children today, it was so easy. It was hard. Uh, you had more convenient things to use today. I mean, I grew up without a washing machine when I had Brent and Brad, but I eventually got a second-hand one, you know, yeah. and... Uh, I've never had a dishwasher in my life. I used to say I've got a Hawkins. That was my dishwasher. But uh, I've never had one of those. And, and I, today, there's only me now. I don't even know when there was just pop, we didn't need one, you know. Uh, we had a lot of happy times. We did a lot of things that you kids don't do. We Picnics, we used to go on picnics. Oh, it, nearly every week we'd go on a picnic or have a barbecue at one another's house. And life can be very good to you, but you've got to work at it. You only get what you put into this world. As Pop would say, don't let the grass grow under your feet. There's lots of things that we would have loved to have done, but it's too late now. And don't think, I'll do it tomorrow, like they say manana. Tomorrow never comes. My mother used to have a saying, never put off for tomorrow what you can do today. Life's too short. You go ahead and enjoy each day and love one another. That's my advice. Just love one another and look after one another. Always have one another's back.